Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the gleaming streamlined studios, state of the arts, of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area. The following program is produced with an artistic vengeance by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. You, know, you always get me with that nestled. Nestled, I know I get that you with That word just kills me. You're the only person that you, you and uh, Obama, you use nestled. We That's use it. nestled, but we don't use Lodestar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on top of it this week. There goes the end of that show. <laughs> Beginning and end. Beginning and end. Where was I? Oh, I remember oh, where yeah. I was. You were uh, telling And you. I was nestled in a secret bunker. And who I am you? the legendary Burl Bear, the man right there, Howard Lapidus, manager to the star. Yes, I am. <laughs> Just one. <laughs> it rotates. I knew it hits. There are more than one. There yeah, are more than you one. You always say that, but we have yet to discover any evidence to the contrary. Speaking of evidence, let's uh, talk about Christopher Darden, if you like. Okay, are we done? Uh, Christopher Darden, it didn't work for him either, did it? <laughs> not even a little bit. No, why, did he, why, did, why did he bring up Christopher Darden? Because he's desperate for a name drop. <laughs> I, I guess. Boy, that is desperation. Funk. <laughs> okay. I heard know. that one hit the floor so loud the walls shook. Overall, Mark CG Boyers over, over there. Are, oh, him? Our well, fact he, checker. He make sure his mic's off. Certainly did a good job with that OJ thing, didn't he? Go back to Nestle, I think. Yeah. And he yeah. STLES. And he's going to do a nice job on his Universal NBC overall deal, but that's fine by me. <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing a pair of those this week. Good. <laughs> My NBC overalls. Ah, that's funny. <laughs> oh, there oh. goes your deal. Speaking of humorous, <laughs> Gary Grossman's here today. Oh, God. <laughs> if I say, why, why, uh, when he writes thrillers. He does, but you know the odd thing about Gary Grossman? Yeah, I can still well, with clothes, for one thing. <laughs> How much of a family show is this? No, it is a family show. Yeah, through no, the, the Manson family. The, the, the truth is, is Gary and I went to college together. And, uh, Absolutely. He, right. he was two years ahead of me. And, and they were and, pinned at the senior prom. He was the big shot when I was a shot. By the way, Howard, Howard still yeah. is. Yeah, no, I, I understand. I'm still you. just a shot. I, 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 was, I was reading over his resume today. Here, it's upside down, though. Oh, that, that explains it. <laughs> oh, that, in that case, you have uh, produced more than 000.01 TV shows. <laughs> I'll fix the paper. Here we go. <laughs> okay, there we go. All right. Okay. You're getting funny in your old age, Burl. <laughs> yeah, I know what happens. Senility is so amusing. Uh, we... <laughs> 10,000 TV shows? My favorite was 7,451. What was that? that the New Adventures so of Flipper? Uh, uh, I actually can't remember. I just remember the number. This is good. Yeah, that was Flipper Dissected. That's as far as you could go. No, you know what it was? Yeah. It was one of the Dr. Drew shows that we did Simply with Sex. Simply mm -hmm. Sex. With Simply Dr. Sex Drew. with Dr. Drew. On the Discovery uh, Health Network. At Discovery Health. And Which then it, became the Oprah Network. Right. And then it changed to Simply Dr. Drew. Yeah, because we, there was we, concern about, about the sex. Uh, the <laughs> Dr. Drew's sex. I saw that uh, porn film. <laughs> Did you? No. I didn't think so. I know. I heard about it, though. Yeah. Saw a still picture. 
Uh, where were we? Oh, Gary Grossman writes the thrillers. And I think you went to Thriller Fest. I did. Uh, that's the International Thriller Writers Association Conference in New York. And I've been there, I think, for about 10 years now. Uh, <laughs> Is this waiting shoulders? for others to show up? <laughs> well, this year, the big one to show up was George R.R. R. Martin, oh. uh, King of Thrones. And I'm thinking maybe I need another initial in my middle name. Uh, uh, yeah, it's like J.R.R. Uh, Tolkien, yeah. Yep. Gary H.H. H. Grossman, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> What's your middle name? Howard. See? There See, we that's go. why you two were linked <laughs> to the I hip. I knew that. I had to have him say it. Let's look, take a quick glance, shall we, at the titles of some of your best-known contemporary works. You have Executive Actions, Executive Treason. That should be the new one. Uh, executive Command and Executive Force. New one. That's executive new Force one. right here. I'll there hold is. it up to that the microphone. That is the brand new one. It, mm -hmm. looks, it looks exactly like the picture of the cover, except the it has more pages. The first page of that book just drags you right into the rest of it. Thank it, you. Absolutely. That Thank is you. important. Yep. Thank you. you. got to hook him and drag him kicking well, and screaming. Good, his mic isn't working. Thank you, Matt. You follow directions it well. It's yes. the fourth book in uh, what was going to be just a trilogy. Uh, what do you call and, a fourth book uh, in a trilogy? Uh, the uh, publisher came up with the term, the fourth standalone thriller. Oh. Okay. So yeah. it's not a quadrophenia. <laughs> yeah, I so couldn't spell that. What's the deal with the executive? What are you doing there with... Uh, well, the executive refers to the executive branch, the presidency. It's also the executive decisions that are made in the United States, in all the books, as well as whatever foreign entities we're dealing with. An executive force, the foreign entities, well, it's one in particular, it's North Korea. Heard of them. Yes, uh, and you'll read a lot about them in here. Uh, they're behind a, a plot working with separatist groups in the United States, Figures. of which there are, what, 50 states? 50, at least 50 separate but separatist we, groups. But we are in fiction here. We are uh, not so much in fiction. Yes. Is this inspired by the actual events and undercurrents current in our society? Well, what happens when I start writing the unthinkable, which I start with, I end up coming up with what is so far unknowable but real. And uh, my editors are always saying, <laughs> Gary, you're scaring me a little. I work with the Navy on the uh, climax of this book, and I did some deep research into, no pun intended, submarine warfare. Uh, and the commander that I was working with, the uh, public affairs commander, said uh, when I first made the approach, um, Gary, we can only go so far with what we're helping you with because you've actually stumbled on something mm -hmm. that um, we can't quite discuss. And, I, and that's what happens when you start thinking the unthinkable. That's so, right. So what was, that, what was that unthinkable piece that you stumbled upon? Well, because not to, that, that's that, right. That's public now. Uh, yes, and not to give away so much the right. end of the book, but if we're going to punish another country without anyone knowing, at the risk of uh, not having a world war or at least a nuclear war, how can we do it? Okay. Well, I think the answer is, and it starts off very in the very beginning of the book too. Uh, the answer is what the Russians have been doing to us. You use. Blah, uh, blah, uh, blah, sorry, uh, uh, bots, you infiltrate computer systems, and you have viruses ready to trigger when you trigger them. So the question is then, how do you trigger devices on a submarine or a submarine force um, and code it in a proper way, or perhaps an improper way, that they'll take a message and then do just the opposite of what they should be doing? 
And mm. that's what executive force leads up to. Uh, the separatists in the book, all the way through, I kind of gave them an interesting uh, group name, uh, USA. United Separatists of America. Hard to get them to unite, though. <laughs> well, they're united in wanting to dissolve the union yeah. and uh, and form their own individual unions. As you uh, no doubt recall, the FBI a few years ago put out a document on what the biggest terrorist threat was to the United States of America. It wasn't Al-Qaeda, it wasn't ISIS, it was exactly what you're talking Separatists. about. Separatists. Yeah. And every state and every part of the country, uh, Riverside County tried to uh, get other counties in California to separate from California. Uh, Texas, uh, uh, Governor Perry threatened in 2009 to take uh, Texas out of the I Union. I thought that was a wonderful idea. <laughs> it didn't happen no. yet, though. Do you, do you know what would happen if they did? I read an article on that on, in terms of how much of Texas's economy is comes from the federal government, and if they were to secede from the Union, they would have total economic collapse. And that usually doesn't make it to the local meetings. No. Uh, when they're <laughs> no, they, people they, they don't bring that up. No, <laughs> no. But the threats are very real in, in executive force. Prior to this one, uh, executive command was out. And in that novel, and I was on here to talk about it, uh, thank you for having me back. It was water. That's our most valuable and vulnerable mm -hmm. natural resource. You don't have to poison water all across the nation. All you have to do is make people fearful that the water they drink is poison and you can ruin the economy and you do that at various spots all across the country and uh it, pardon yes monster uh, twilight zone episode absolutely right um i in fact you bring up rod serling in twilight zone i teach at loyola marymount university a graduate class in television history and we're watching right now a lot of Rod Serling's early programming, bef uh, writing before he did Twilight Zone. Requiem. Uh, Requiem uh, well, actually, uh, that wasn't his, but Patterns, uh, and um, uh, uh, Patterns, which deals with big business. Absolutely. Now, were you gone from Emerson already when he came in as a guest? Lecture uh, for a couple of days. I was gone. I was gone, oh, and, and I think he got the Connor Award from yeah, uh, yeah. from a fraternity. I believe that's what that was. Right. But he did do uh, seminars, and that was one of the great days of my life. Oh God, to meet Rod Serling. Yeah. Oh wow. Writer. I'll tell you a story about Rod Serling. I there, Los Angeles. Just picture Los Angeles, and I don't know how many Starbucks. Uh, coffee shops there are. Are they coffee shops? Whatever they call them. Uh, and there, you can't throw a stick in any direction. Not that you should throw a stick inside a, a Starbucks. It's like yelling you, stick <laughs> in a theater. You yeah. shouldn't have a twizzle, maybe. You can't throw a twizzle. <laughs> but everybody in there are taking it they're taking up tables writing right. writing their screenplays or writing especially their books. at the one at Beverly Glen at Beverly Glen uh, Larchmont Village yeah. everywhere I have a rule I do not sit and write at Starbucks I just don't do it why not well interesting thing I will sit and write at El Coyote a Mexican restaurant because they have margaritas <laughs> okay and anything that I write there always seems so much better than, <laughs> than, than if I were just drinking coffee. Plus, <laughs> almost went there last night. But El Coyote. Great margaritas, great Mexican food. 
Uh, for the uh, absolutely right, Sharon Tate, night before. My daughter just told me that a couple of weeks ago. So what I learned while one day I was leaving, another guy was writing there and he said, do you know we're not the only two people who have done this? Well, we were the only two people that day. Um, and he said, yeah, in, in the 1960s and 50s, when Rod Serling wrote at CBS for the Playhouse 90, uh, for Twilight Zone in the 60s, he would bring his portable typewriter over to walk down the street, go to El Coyote, and write there. So I stayed for another margarita. Yes. <laughs> that was great. And pretended you were Rod Serling. I did. <laughs> What's he saying? Say Anybody again? No one knows. What in the world is he saying? I think he's going for humor, and let's just let <laughs> yeah, it my, go. Yeah, my earphones we'll just, just let it go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it sounded good. <laughs> the tapping works. <laughs> the tapping does work. The voice, no. So all the books, that what, yeah. what I find so interesting is, is the research. I'm writing, uh, as I describe it, the first draft I don't write. My characters write. They, it's like a Twilight Zone episode. I sit down and I take dictation from them, and then I do the additional research. The second draft, I write, because I'm rewriting basically what they told me. And in, with executive force, uh, I was describing characteristics of the supreme leader, uh, fictionalized only slightly in the book, The Supreme Leader of North Korea. And it started with, and I just have a couple of notes here, it started with what are the big six constellation of personality disorders? Uh, sadistic, antisocial, paranoid, narcissistic, schizoid, and schizotypal. And I started then from there going into the United States Army uh, Leader Development Field Manual and looking at what the categories, uh, the danger signs of a leader in any country that you look for, particularly in uh, dictatorships, and the, or just watch the Cane Mutiny and mm -hmm. Captain Quig. There's a, a dis uh, diminished grasp of trust and critical thinking, self-awareness, empathy, and likely most important, discipline and self-control. Uh, leaders shape the ethical climate of their organization while developing the trust and relationships that enable proper leadership. Here's where it gets really interesting. Uh, a leader who, track, who lacks trust can wield power by remaining remote and isolated, by making propagandistic promises and threats, and by eliminating subordinates from the chain of command. Uh, lacks discipline and self-control, impulsive emotional outbursts uh, in psychiatric, psychiatric circles. It's all about filters, lack of filters, um, and a lack of empathy, as I mentioned. And what I started finding is that if you look at leaders at any point through history, um, the ones who lean more towards the dictatorial side are the ones who have these traits. Doesn't mean they're not successful, they could be very successful, but it are, they are the signs that you look for in a leader and whether a leader is going to survive in leadership, which makes executive force pretty timely this week. And, a ho and hopefully for a few weeks. Yeah, it's let's, uh, let's, let's root for that because we're rooting for you. We, we are. And Thank you. Know you. What the heck got you to sit down in front of the computer the first time? Uh, you're a TV guy and a very successful TV guy. Always well, was. And that, uh, Thank and, you. And then what happened one day? 
Well, it, it happened was, a long time. Why destroy all that to become an author? <laughs> no, that's, that's not it, it at all. It was one day, and I'll tell you, it started with a meeting that I had. Uh, Rob Weller and I were uh, producing partners in Weller Grossman production for years and years and years, and we worked with Howard on uh, uh, Drew Pinsky's shows. Uh, we were at the History Channel in New York, and we were having a meeting, and someone in the History Channel meeting, not me, said, do you think we're running out of history? Now, I remember that date because it was September 10th, 2001. We know what happened the next day. Rob and I, two days later, got a car uh, to drive back to Los Angeles because no flights. Price. And I started thinking about a plot that might take, well, if, well, I'll back up. If that plot took seven or eight years to gestate after the first attack on the World Trade Center towers, what about a plot that would take 20 or 30 or 40 years? And if you waited that long, what would be most valuable? And I thought it was the presidency itself. So how do you make that happen? And I started researching uh, secret sleeper cell spies, much like if you've seen uh, Red Sparrow, the schools that trained Russians, or you've seen in The Americans, the TV show, the schools that train Russians to pose as Americans. Well, back in the Cold War, that's what they had to do. They had to blend in. They had to uh, learn not to go in and uh, uh, bargain at a supermarket over where, the food. Where did you learn that? I mean, um, you were a teenager in the 60s. Uh, well, I first read, my first political thriller that I read was Seven Days in May, which was a story about a coup d'etat of the White House, an attempted one. And I remember seeing Failsafe and Dr. Strangelove. My parents, my father was in law enforcement, my mother in politics. Uh, we were Rockefeller Republicans, New York State, um, always talked politics. And I had a shortwave radio. And I listened to broadcasts from throughout the world. Um, radio Moscow, uh, Havana, Cuba, uh, China, uh, BBC, I remember the big chines of Big Ben on the hour when they uh, would do their broadcasts. So I was aware of the world beyond... That must have had Hudson a profound effect on you, yes? Absolutely did. Talk Absolutely about that. Absolutely did. Uh, I'll go back to uh, a time that a lot of people remember, and that was October 1963 when President John Kennedy uh, came on television my father was uh, in New York for a meeting. He, we lived in upstate New York. He worked in Albany. And I remember sitting on the couch with my mother and probably feeling what she felt when she first heard that the Japanese had attacked Pearl Harbor and not knowing what that was going to mean to the rest of her life uh, and her new marriage and, and her uh, family. Uh, and she was very nervous, and I certainly then became scared. Would I see my dad again? Would missiles be flying? Uh, all those things gave me the, the, the grounding and the foundation of, uh, of, of what I do now. And then moving into documentaries and TV news and writing, uh, the, all the History Channel shows and the a and &E shows, a lot of them had a political bent. I'm going to drag you back okay. to, the, to the, the, the heart of the last question. And that's the profound effect that listening on your shortwave to material coming out of Moscow and Havana 
uh, uh, wherever you were getting mm -hmm. it, but it was not the United States, and it was different than what you were living Very different. Okay. Very different. What was the effect of that? What What did you hear? Uh, what do you remember? I remember uh, the propaganda from Radio Moscow and the five-year plans, mm -hmm. talking about the five-year plans in agriculture and the five-year plans in industry. And, and how they were uh, going to advance Russia and the Russian message was going to be throughout the globe. Uh, I remember listening to Voice of America fight that, uh, propaganda to propaganda. How did they say they were gonna do it? Did they, did uh, they didn't say how they were going to do it, they, they were talking about their strength and their military might and their economic might, all of which ultimately was a lie, with one exception, and that was the fact that they had built up the satellite nations around Russia to protect themselves, to give them a buffer, uh, and uh, to protect themselves against NATO, which they clearly perceived as a very real and present threat to them. Um, and I heard all of that, and I heard of that as a kid. And scary? Scary. Um, I would say I had awareness of it, uh, but it made me a reader. Well, you, you, were, you were listening to this on unbridled by a teacher or a parent Correct. or somebody that you could just look up and go, help me with this. Well, I also, at that time, when I was 12 years old, became a ham radio operator. Mm -hmm. So not only was I listening, I was communicating, talk. and mm -hmm. I could talk. And all of that put me out in the world in a way that most people weren't in a small Hudson Valley town, Hudson, New York. Uh, and I think I was aware, oh, oh, but I do remember listening on the shortwave radio to Sputnik, beep, 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 mm -hmm. beep, going overhead and looking in the eastern sky as that was going past. That was, in fact, Russia's first satellite. Absolutely the first satellite. That was real evidence of what we needed to do. We were behind. We were behind. And even though that wasn't a threat, it felt like a threat. And then Yuri Gagarin becoming the first, first astronaut. First man in space. Yeah, he circled the globe. And, and we had to play catch up from there. And it seemed like in the Cold War, even though we probably had more military might, it always felt like we were playing catch-up. Uh, and the threat was real, uh, at least to... So that's you know, what in inspired Kennedy to say in 10 years we'll be on the moon. Absolutely right. And we were. And the... Uh, and what, did, what did that matter? Uh, I was in a control room at WBZ-TV in Boston uh, when uh, Neil Armstrong set his first foot on the moon. It, yes, it really did happen. Um, and, uh, Come on, that it was, was a back thrilling. lot at Warner Brothers. Come on. <laughs> uh, actually, it was Fox. But, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but all those things were pretty seminal experiences uh, for a kid growing up in a small town. Um, and then the people who would come to town, the Governor Rockefeller would, would come in there. Uh, Gore Vidal ran for Congress when I was a kid, and I got to meet Gore Vidal in my... As I recall, my Cub Scout uniform, you know, going up and shaking hands with him. And uh, I knew he was a brilliant writer. And, and, but I never thought I would be writing novels until w that Were you in the back. Hamilton Fish District? We were. See? My mother, very good. My mother was campaign manager for um, uh, that seat years later that Ham Fish had had. How do I know that? Follow this. I, was, I went and saw a little big man with Dustin Hoffman in Boston. Where mm -hmm. I was going to Emerson, and I had a date, and I had my car, and um, somehow I sideswiped a car, and I pulled over, 
and I left my information. And sure enough, the next day, I get a, a note or a call from Hamilton Fish the Third. Right, Chatham, New York. That's where he lived. I hit mm-hmm. his car. Ah. So I had to go through the whole process with uh, him and Hamilton Fish, the great uh, His uh, father, who was a, a congressman in the 30s, yes. and as I recall, was one of those who did not want us to uh, enter World War II. There you go. Mm-hmm. Ham fish. Anyway, I, I digress, but I was wow. wondering if that's where you came from. Oh, yeah. Exactly. I want to get back to something that you mentioned okay. earlier that... Oh, gee, I hate making things about me, but <laughs> I, I shared a similar experience. When you're doing research mm-hmm. and you come across something that's sensitive because you start thinking, and uh, I wrote a book where I got information from the Navy on what was called Strike Star 2025. And what was that? That is how drones can be used to occupy a country. It only takes two to occupy and cause extreme paranoia in any population. And so I was doing the novelization of Stealth with about the rogue, uh, you know, uh-huh. giant drone going on blowing do things up. Do, how do they do it with two drones? Tell me how they do that. Because they're very fast. They are stealth. Mm-hmm. You don't know where they are. So what you are doing is creating total nationwide paranoia. And that's how you control the population. Well, the the movie stealth had no plot. It had situations, but it didn't have why the bad guys were the bad guys. But it was my job doing a novelization mm-hmm. to make that. And Sony had to approve it. Well, I came up with it. Well, you only need two of these things to occupy a country. They're going to occupy a country, except they're going to occupy their own country. They're going to occupy America with the slogan that security is freedom. And they went, no, that's too effing scary. That's too possible. And, and, and it's like the, the water issue. In right, exactly. Command. It is so possible and so plausible. That they don't want to talk about right. it. And so what I did instead is I said, well, the United States is going to attack Japan, blame it on North Korea, and use that as an excuse to steal all of Japan's proprietary technological <laughs> information. And they went, Sony, which Japanese, loved that. <laughs> it wasn't the U.S. The well, blame it on there. North Korea. <laughs> uh, well, it's, it, it's so interesting. Once you start thinking, I'm going to set a plot in another country, and, and for me, an executive Actions, it was researching the Red Banner schools, the, the schools where those uh, uh, spies were taught to pose as Americans. And for North Korea, it's you know what we do know that they've done with the Internet and, and viruses. But you start digging into it, and the scary part is we don't know what we don't know. Uh, my IT guy at our production company about 12 years ago, when I was... Uh, I think the second book was coming out, first book, um, said, Gary, you should be looking into what the Russians are doing with the Internet. And I said, well, what are you talking about? And he said, this is our IT guy. He said, they will have the most dangerous tool on the planet. And it's true. I always wonder about Videodromes. You see Videodrome, James Woods and Deborah Harry many years ago? No, I didn't see that. Well, it's a similar concept. It was just done like years and years ago where if you're watching porn, you know, especially really weird porn, you yeah. know. Uh, your kind of porn. My kind of porn. <laughs> there's a signal that's being sent that's going to destroy your brain because we ah. want to get rid of those people. 
those oh, kind wow. of people. Similar to the plea where Robert Redford played the right-wing fascist in the uh, Captain America right. movie. And We're going to eliminate all these people. And uh, what was the movie, Telephone, with... Uh, uh, Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson. Bronson. Boy, but how did that yeah. pull that one out of a hat? Yeah, thank <laughs> Amazing. Because um, it wasn't that with the telephone company. Right. It was the phone company that was inserting things in our brains. Well, you start thinking the unthinkable, and that's... Someone's put, thought start, of it. You start putting <laughs> sentences together. Yeah. Uh, now, I, I, it's it, it's so interesting because I don't know necessarily where what I'll be doing for the next book in this series. I do have another book coming out in March called Red Hotel. Mm. And this actually won't get too deep into it, but the the discovery, and it's with a writing partner, the discovery of this started while I was walking our dogs one night and I bumped into a, a neighbor, a friend, Bruce Fierstein, who coincidentally had written three of the first uh, Pierce Brosnan, uh, James Bond films. And I'd had him on a TV show and I'd worked with him with Pierce on a National Geographic, on a show that launched the National Geographic Channel. He said, Gary, I have somebody want you to meet. I'm on a board at Boston University with this guy and he wants to write a novel or co-write a novel and I said well I haven't done that with anyone before but uh, tell me what's his story and he said well uh, his name is Ed Fuller and he just retired as the president of Marriott International and my reaction was well what do I have in common with the gentleman who was president of Marriott International he said take the meeting you just have to get together with him which I did and within 30 seconds, I realized he was as much in the anti-terrorism business as the hotel business. His hotels were blown up, Marriott and Ritz, in Mumbai and Jakarta. Mm. He dealt with the uh, fall of Mubarak in Cairo, getting his, his team out. He was in uh, Libya and Tripoli when uh, Gaddafi fell. So my first question to him, 30 seconds after hearing this, was, who do you have on speed dial? And he told me. And I said, I think we can work together. <laughs> <laughs> Who did he have on speed dial? Chasey Lane. Uh, <laughs> well, when you have to get people out of a country with bad guys having guns, you better have uh, some mercenaries on your side with an airplane. And he did. And cash. And he also developed uh, the five-code color system to protect hotels, uh, international hotels in the world. And it's what was interesting is we did we visited some uh, other properties in the United States, and it was, you know, when somebody you've never had a, a one kind of car before, and then you get it, and now you see that car everywhere, or you mm -hmm. somebody mentions a song that you may have heard a million times, but it never registered. And now that you heard it, you know it. Um, we had talked enough about security in hotels that as I walked with him through these hotels, I began seeing what was wrong with them with security and what needed to be upgraded in in cities like Los Angeles. And so Missouri, so what York. was wrong and what needed to be upgraded? Well, uh, you need to have bollards in front of hotels so uh, uh, trucks cannot plow into them with explosives. You need to have, if you have security cameras, which they all have, you need to have enough people watching the security cameras. Most of the security cameras are there to go back to after something happened rather than determine that something is happening. Just having somebody watching, they have to know. Absolutely.
absolutely right. And and I saw some of that not happening. Um, uh, teaching uh, maintenance staff, if they see something, say something. For example, if they see a lot of AAA or AA batteries in bags in somebody's room, well, what do you use AAA and AA batteries? What do you use a lot of AAA? 10,000 of them. Boy. Yes, or not even that many, but but you would use them to for bombs and explosives. How about the case at the, uh, in, uh, in Vegas? Where that, that, that guy got so much upstairs. Oh, ridiculous. my God. Absolutely right. Nobody was, well, you know, from what I understand, people could have been paying much more attention when one guy is coming in with bag after bag after bag and nobody's questioning. Um, so the level of security that has to go into hotels at different levels, one of the first things is for American hotels, do you lower the American flag? Do you provide a little less visibility? Uh, it, the more security you have that's visible to a terrorist, the less likely that will become a target. They'd rather go for easier targets. Because they'll see the security. They'll see the you want You want visible security. Yeah. So that's what will work into Red Hotel, which ultimately is a, a Putin-esque story about trying to reclaim, going back to what we were talking about before, going back to trying to reclaim the satellite countries that they had in the Cold War. Well, if they had Lithuania and Latvia and Estonia, mm -hmm. Ukraine, uh, Poland, could have that, that bumper again, as well as the resources, their national resources, Russia would have a lot better economy and be a, gl a huge global threat again militarily. Can you name a fan, because I certainly can't, but I had a conversation with a gentleman from one of these places, the countries that are around Afghanistan. There's follow a security, a security guard mm -hmm. or, or security personnel uh, up in uh, Stevenson Ranch, California. And he was saying that that's where he was from, one of these countries that's next to Afghanistan. And he says, we've had nuclear power, incredible infrastructure, thriving economy, thriving in businesses, streets, everything modern. Afghanistan looks like the Stone Age, and no one mentions what's around it and how well they're, they're doing. Absolutely right, including India and Pakistan, and, and the, the, the power, they are nuclear powers. Yeah. Uh, it, it's uh, a world that we have to pay more attention what, to. What scares you as an American? What scares you about this country? About America? About what could happen? Uh, well, you know, I remember when, as most of us do, uh, civics were taught in schools. Uh, we understood what it, our responsibility, and education had more value, and I think education has been greatly devalued. Mm -hmm. uh, so what scares me is that we have a generation of people who, um, or a couple of generations of people now who will listen only to the news that they want to listen to. Bingo! And, and they're it's not... It's no longer newspapers or magazines. You find out what people want to read and then give it to them. Absolutely. Hey, we're going to take a break for about 60 seconds. We'll be right back.
take your smoking, drinking, interrupting obsession with you 24 hours a day on any phone or device. And it's all free. Just go to your friendly app store and search for Outlaw Radio. Then look for the red letters on the sign with the bullet holes in it and download it. It's free. Listen free on the road, in your car, at the beach, or in your backyard. It's all free from Outlaw Radio. This is Buddy Twist saying goodnight from Hollywood. Back to True Crime Uncensored. Like that echo? Yeah, it's great. With who? <laughs> With the legendary Burl Bear. Was that right? Yeah. And you, Howard Lapidus. With Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus. Yeah, I told you. He didn't you believe me know. at first, but I just validated it. I believe Also, I what's I'm his here? name in the corner whose microphone is thankfully not working worth beans? Mark C.G. Boyer. I'm, uh, I'm tired every week of having to work on that. If he can't figure, figure it out, out for himself, that's it. I, I, I have no more time for this. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, see now, see now it's working. He can't. He can't. There's a, a, all these years. It, it's such an easy concept. You get up to that damn mic and you speak you into speak. it. That's correct. We we do uh, sometimes actually want to hear what you have to say. Not all the no, time. No, you very seldom. As a matter yeah, of fact. <laughs> Featuring Mark C. G. Boyer. See, you're, you're on the masthead. Did yeah. You see that? That's you. And uh, today's uh, program is recorded and archived by Douglas Shearer. Thank you very much, Douglas. Thank you very much, Douglas. Yeah. I've got to find someone else to do that. Uh, after now, <laughs> he quit. <laughs> no, he's no, retired. Gary will do it. He retired. Go get someone to do it. Uh, we're talking to Gary Grossman. This is usually part of the program, Gary, where I take uh, 30 to 60 seconds to tell people to buy all my books. Do it. So uh, I'll tell you, uh, buy all my books. <laughs> and we got that out of the way. And where do they find your books? <laughs> they find my books the same place they find yours. <laughs> so while you're buying his, you can buy mine. My latest uh, masterpiece is, of course, Betrayal in Blue, the true story of the cocaine cops of the NYPD. They weren't afraid of the cops because they were the cops, making, uh, what was it, uh, 13,000 a year as NYPD police, and eight thousand a week providing a protection for the Dominican drug cartel. Uh, the story was written with Ken Urell, one of the uh, two most disgraced cops in the history of the NYPD, and he'll get a kick out of this. He kept a diary, which would be like a confession if the cops got their hands on it, when, they, when he was raided, not by the NYPD, because they knew what he was doing for years. They didn't say anything about it because they didn't want a scandal. <laughs> so it wasn't until he went to Long Island that they got popped. When they found his diary, they didn't think it was anything, and they just tossed it in the air. So years later, now there's a documentary out called The 7-5, and he uh-huh. wanted to turn into a book, and That's I was contacted. HBO. Uh, uh, we, we were able to use his memoirs as the foundation for the book. And what's the name of the book again? Betrayal in Blue. I call it Sophie's Choice to Squad Car. Because he, <laughs> he had to, if he betrayed his partner, he'd already betrayed the badge, but if he, he testifies or becomes a cooperating witness against his partner, cops don't like that. They didn't no. know. But it was the only way he could save his partner's life. So he, uh, it was, so was it damned if you do, damned if you don't. He didn't want his partner to get killed and spend the rest of his life in prison. So he had to turn a cooperating witness, not an informant, a cooperating witness, to save his partner's life. And people were willing to talk to you openly? The, the head of the Dominican drug cartel called to make sure we portrayed him accurately. Wait, wait, wait. I just thought you said the head of the Dominican <laughs> yes. drug cartel called, yes. had your number, yes. which already yeah. worries me, uh, has your we number. We made sure he had the to number. To make sure, uh, fact-checking. Yes, sp- yes. 
Uh, okay, when you picked up the phone well, and you found out who he was, what did you say? You'll I was have nowhere near Oakland. Uh, <laughs> no, no, he was in the Dominican Republic. Uh -huh. He did uh, about seven, eight years in prison here and then was deported. Uh, multi multi-millionaire, as you can well imagine. How did you fact-check this guy when he's just the guy on the phone? Uh, well, it was Frank Gerardo who handled uh, that aspect okay. of it. And it was a very distinctive voice. He's also in the documentary. Uh, I've got to see it. Uh, read it. Yeah, see the documentary, read the book. The book uh, goes into things the documentary doesn't. Are so. you in the documentary as well? No, no. It was well. after the documentary was already done ah. that, the, uh, that Ken Urell, who was one of the main characters in the documentary, uh, went to Paul Guzzo in Florida and said, where do I get a true crime writer to turn my memoir into a book? And he said, legendary Burl Bear raised on record, born to rock and roll. So to Howard's <laughs> question to me, what scares you? What scares me is the intentional ignorance and lack of consultation on the part of American people. Mm -hmm. Forming mm -hmm. opinions before they have facts. Yes. Consultation, problem solving, no matter what it is, is three parts. One, ascertain data facts, mm -hmm. information. Same thing when we're doing a book. You do the research. You get the accurate information devoid of opinion. Then you find the legal, ethical, moral, spiritual, whatever it is, principle, ethical principle, and you apply that principle to the data to arrive at your course of action or form your opinion or whatever you're going to do. If you start in the process having the opinion, you've already screwed the whole thing up. You've got blinders on. Yeah. Um, I, I, what I found, and I think I learned it from my, from my dad in law enforcement in New York State. I love James Bond. I love, I love superheroes. I love. Uh, uh, we always uh, talk about the Saint, and and, and I do want to actually come back to the Saint because uh, I saw the new BBC series a while ago, uh, about two oh, years ago. We have ago. the world's foremost. I know, expert. I know. It was rebooted, so I want to come talk about that. Um, but what I what I learned and what I try to do in my books is that it does take, and it's probably what didn't happen on 9-11, it takes you who know something, I who know something, Howard, everybody getting right. together and sharing the information and then vetting it, determining what part of the story do each of us have that can, that can give us enough intel to move forward. That's and called that being united in your views and thoughts with your purposes harmonized. Even if you have totally different perspectives, like mm -hmm. the blind man and the elephant, you have right. totally different perspectives, yet your overarching goal is exactly the same. So how would, how would you guys go about vetting the crazy op-ed uh, that was in the New York Times uh, and, about and, the White House. And I, I do want to go back in a second. I want to go back and talk to you about the blind man and the elephant because I use that story in Red Hotel. And people who don't know it, you should tell mm -hmm. the story. It's wonderful. The op-ed, I'm, um, I'm of two minds. Um, it's, it, it, to some extent, it's not telling, in my mind, us anything we didn't know. But I think if that person is so passionate about it, we don't need a shadow government inside the United States, unelected, Correct. correcting and the elected process. Yeah. Official, that's correct. Absolutely, he should or she should go public and 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 say to the United States Senate and Congress, I am going to testify. I want a I want a hearing. I'm going to testify. If you do not have the hearing for me to speak, then I will go to the press. But this is where it needs to be heard, because otherwise, we're we're just floating in the air. Absolutely thing. right, and we didn't elect that person. Right, 
uh, or those people right. there. And yes, I, uh, last November, uh, I went to the Reagan National Forum uh, at the Reagan Library. Uh, meeting people research and I had a very strong feeling that in seeing uh, s secretaries of the army and the navy uh, people very high up in uh, in the white house and, and uh, I really had a strong sense that there were intelligent people there who had control of things but do we want them protecting us from somebody who they're they're even not uh, uh, they're not showing faith in the, whoever leaked well, that story the should go public. this isn't the first time. No, this isn't the first time. I have friends who what's his name Frank Hagen about to tell you the same thing because he worked in the Reagan White House mm -hmm. one time. I have also other had friends who worked in the Reagan White House who said that he was already senile and demented in his first term. That he would be walking into the White House in his pajamas, dazed and confused. They go. It's time to play the president. Oh. He put the makeup on. He says, I'm playing the president now. And he would play the president. And, Burl, you want to believe that? Well, the people... I, it's not an insult It's not an insult to Reagan. No, of, course, of course it's an insult to Reagan. Well, why is it an insult to him? It's not his fault. You've got a guy demanded. in his pajamas for crying out loud. It's not his fault. The president of the United States in pajamas. But that's not an insult. For you to make a ludicrous statement... That that is not an insult to our president. It's Even not. It's an insult to the United States government that when you have that situation, by, you're supposed way, to do something about once it. Once again, hearsay, but you adore that because it's your it. scenario of who that man is. I felt sorry for the gentleman. Which is sort of where we were starting with this. <laughs> right. Like, stick with the facts instead of hearsay. And Gary makes a very valid point. This broad or this guy or whoever. Yeah, was, I agree with him on that. Come out of the shadows and be a man or a woman. woman. Right. Or, or a combination of the two. In this day and age. <laughs> yes, yes. But it seems to me like, assuming, for example, that if my friends who worked in their first-person mm -hmm. narrative, well, it's hearsay to me, it's first-person to them, if they were correct, then... Uh, what what would have done? I mean, they're doing everything they could to protect him, which I thought was nice, mm -hmm. and to protect the country, which I thought was nice. But then again, our Constitution has ways of dealing with that exact situation. And, and that's not the way. Right, right. So yeah. it was wrong then. Mm -hmm. If it's true, it's wrong now. If it's not true, then it's not true. I mean, who knows? We don't really know except for well, symptomology. I would like... I would like to return to a time where the president is the president of the United States, not the president of one political party. And I felt that was very much the case with Obama, because there was so much uh, disunity uh, and dissension from Republicans, and I feel that now uh, with uh, Trump, uh, because he's the president of the Republican Party. And I, I'm trying. I'm trying to remember. I think there was a time when Reagan was president of the United States. I think there was a time when George Bush, after 9/11, was president of the United States. Uh, but how long has it been since we've had four or eight years where somebody truly well, was seen as the president of the United States? It's kind of like a scorpion in the frog story, you know. It's, it's that's the other story. Hey, really? <laughs> you know, it's by nature. Partisan politics by its very nature is divisive and corrupt and ever higher and ever widening circles. Avoid it as you would a lion. <laughs> and tell the story about the elephant and the blind man. Well, you got you got an elephant, you got five guys. They're, they're all blind. Each one's going to touch a different part of the elephant, and they're 
get it and say, oh, it's uh, it's this way. It's big and thick. And then someone grabs his tail and goes, oh, it's thin and, uh, and waggly. It's a flower. It's, yeah. Uh -huh. it's, 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 but if you put all the perspectives together, you're going to get a picture. Like a variety of security cameras at a hotel. You can't just have one security camera. You have to have all of them That's and right. combine and collaborate and cross-reference all the available information. And if you see something, say something. I think that's the most important phrase. There, and if you don't see something, don't make it up. Exactly. <laughs> I, I've, I've told people, uh, you know, these days... Gary, it's yes. political correctness that doesn't allow that see something, say something. You know that. This overwrought political right. correctness gets in the way. Because you're afraid if you bring it up, then I may risk my job. You're, bla or you're blasphemized, mm -hmm. and yes, and, and, racist, and you're a racist, right. and, you, and you may lose your job. Right. In this climate, you may lose your job. And that prevents... The right thing the, from happening. Right. What's that? Or protection, or, or, the, right, or the wrong thing from happening. Correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the uh, the hotels we went to uh, in the service elevators, big posters uh, for the staff. If you see something, say something. But that's no good if they're not taught what to look for. Yes. So what should they be looking for? That was my question. Well, uh, they need to be looking for electronic equipment. They need to be looking for batteries, as I talked about. They need to be looking for when somebody checks into some place. And it doesn't have to be a hotel. It could be an office building. If somebody is where the uh, uh, surveillance cameras are, you should be concerned about that. They might be a security expert. They could be, but they might be somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, now yes. that gets really scary to me, because when I uh, when I go into a bank or anything like that, I'm a true crime writer, I'm always looking at where the security cameras are. I don't even know what it takes of robbing the bank. No. Or but our but friend, Fellow O'Reilly, who used fact, to rob banks. The fact that you're in a bank has got everybody <laughs> right. in Yeah, because what the hell is he doing? He has no money. He's an author. Or if you come back <laughs> at the same time every day, all those kinds of things well, are my signals. my mom did that, but that's another story. I worked for banks for 20 years. And I did a, a lot of fraud detection. And we were, uh, Home Savings at the time was having a lot of teller fraud. And we had a big meeting, and they were describing the different kinds of fraud. And they wanted, and wanted to know what they could do about it. And little pipsqueak Marky raises his stupid hand and mm. says, Hey, why aren't we training the tellers to, lo to recognize these issues? Duh. Duh. <laughs> and who trains them, though? Who Somebody well, from the outside have, has to know, come the, in. The banks had security department <clears throat> and experts. Mm -hmm. And they were more than capable of doing uh, reasonably sized training uh, segments to, to describe fast change issues uh, and check fraud and uh, so forth. They were able to do that. So but did they do that based on uh, you raising your hand? Uh, a version of it got implemented eventually. I thought it was fascinating, and uh, I don't know if you were here, Mark, we had a bank security expert on the show who was saying when the bank's robbed or the guy hits the button, it rings in India. <laughs> Honest to God, rings in India, and then India calls the local bank to see if it's real, and if it's real, then... <laughs> oh, my God. There's something wrong with that system. Do you know that um, uh, after 9-11, um, the Pentagon... And the White House called in thriller writers 
screenplay yes, writers yes, 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 yes. to we start somebody who on Lee, Lee Goldberg, my nephew. Oh, you great. <laughs> he wrote the book, a book called True Fiction. That's exactly that plot. Because they had to get from somebody what are the possibilities and the things we're not thinking. So about. where were you on that? I know you're in New York. I was, I was in New York, uh, Upper East Side, uh, that morning. And the very first thing Rob and I did was we went down and we got money out of an ATM and we got water. We were thinking earthquake. Yeah. What do you do? Did you? How did you hear? You heard about it? I would. Uh, well, that morning on the news, I had the morning news on uh, the local uh, uh, TV one, the local New York news, and the big story on TV one. I'm not kidding. Was as it was uh, presented as a huge danger. Do you know that when you flush the toilet, germs will fly up at least seven feet high? So when you flush and the toilet, vault. stand away from... <laughs> that was one hour before the first plane hit. Yep. And you I gotta know what that. to be afraid of. So you... So, but but they, they were with it when the first plane hit. Yes, yeah. And that's what you saw. And I, well, I know I did not see the first plane hit. I saw the second plane hit. And that inspired you to get water and cash. Water and cash. And then we went downstairs, and we were staying at a Marriott hotel. And within one hour, we saw security at the hotel. We saw you had to um, present identification to go upstairs. They had uh, bomb-sniffing dogs, all of these part of the threat assessment. Uh, by the way, bomb-sniffing dogs, they're good for about 45 minutes. And then they begin to lose the scent. And cold, extreme cold, can throw them off the scent. Also, if you spray them with that ozone stuff. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not a good thing. Is that what uh, Howard has right here? It's ozone. That's yeah. ozone. Yeah, if you do that, that's really a cruel thing to do to a dog. But it'll take their nose right <laughs> totally, out Totally, yeah, take it right out of them. So what happened was that we, we, uh, uh, we got prepared. And fire engines were screaming downtown. Police cars were screaming downtown, and nothing was coming back up. Where did you bunker down? Uh, we were at 57th and Lexington, the Upper East Side. But later in the day, people were walking up in the middle of the street, soot all over them, silent. Now, I've only been in New York where there's no noise, and you can hear a conversation across the street. It's when there's a snowstorm, because there's no traffic, and it was on 9-11. It was... I was saying eerie. It's that is also an inconsequential. Thanos, when Thanos came with his giant spaceship, uh, that would have happened that, that day too. Yeah, uh, but that's you know those are images that that you know shape at least shape me as a writer. We were driving back to California, talking with the History Channel, saying we need to have a show on about the history of civil defense in America. We need to have a show on the times America has actually been attacked by a foreign government, and there have been times. Uh, Japan and, and Germany during World War II. During World War II. Uh, with uh, there were uh, off of uh, Goleta. Yes. Uh, Nineteen forty-one. Steven Spielberg. Get the, uh, the balloons. In uh, the northeast, the northwest. Hey, Gary. Ladies you, and thank gentlemen, you, thank you, thank you for doing. Thank this. you too. Hey, Matt, if you want to fact check my fact check my statement about Reagan, look over in the. Washington I don't need to. Post. I don't need to. I don't need to fact check hearsay. I understand. Well, it's go to the Washington Post and you will discover. All right, Washington Post, excellent source. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank no, you, no. You don't, he doesn't want to hear it. Thanks want to hear it. Stop with the fighting. Stop with the fighting. It's not fighting. I was just hey, going to give him a hint. What's next? More lack of rational thought. Are you, are you, going, are you going to uh, are you gonna thank 
the guest. Of course I'm going to thank the guest. I'd like to thank all five blind men and the elephant <laughs> and Gary Grossman for being our guest on True Crime Uncensored. Thank you. Next, Magic Matt Allen and the Demons of Decadence. Live on our radio, live.com. Who, hey, who do we have? We have a, uh, oh, we have a Carradine yes, we on the show. Which yeah. Carradine? We have Robert Carradine. Oh, thank God. Yeah, on Outlaw Radio. All that and much less in mere minutes on the Big Dog of Broadcasting. Let the watch. In the